0: Well, Hey coach. Um, it's, it's good to meet you face to face. Um, I was looking over your, <laughs> you sent me quite a resume. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't it. know what
1: you were looking for.
0: No, no. I, I think that's awesome because, um, uh, you know, it really gives you an idea of, uh, you know, who you're working with. It's, it's one thing to just say, Oh yeah, I'm a coach, you know, cause you see everything on Instagram and then you start going through your, your accolades. You're like, man, you've done a lot of stuff. So, um, real quick. Um, well, I just went ahead and hit the record button, so I'll try to figure out if I want to edit this out later, but, um, um, sure. welcome to, uh, raise the bar. I'm your host. Troy Haynes is the sky high and fly jump Camps podcast. And, uh, today, um, I am recording at, uh, Cabo San Lucas. I'm in, uh, the Diamante, um, uh, a room at Diamante and, uh, this is the, um, the resort that I'm staying at and I'm just played golf today. So, I, we're doing a podcast from a resort. So, this is uh, we're on the road and I am talking with um, Coach Wilkins. And, Coach, I do not have your first name because it just says Coach Wilkins.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Brendan Wilkins. Yeah, Brandon Wilkins.
0: Okay. So, this we are talking with Brandon Wilkins and um, I we were just talking before I hit the record button, but Coach Wilkins is at Quinnipack uh university did i say that right
1: quinnipiac quinnipiac yeah
0: quinnipiac university and where is that what state
1: uh we're in connecticut yeah so there's a lot of native native american names so it's a. Uh, okay that's uh, that's where awesome. it comes from.
0: and uh you know even though he's got a beard and a mustache you, you look like you you could be my son you're you're a young <laughs> whippersnapper looking kid how how old are you coach
1: i'll be uh 31 next week
0: 31 you look young oh awesome I don't want to tell my my viewers how old I am, but th- they know since I keep talking about when I was in high school in the 80s. But um, so Coach um, is, he sent me his his resume and uh, I've been wandering through it because it's extensive. Um, he started off at, uh, his first year was here at Quinnipiac, but uh, prior to Quinnipiac, he was at Springfield College, Division Three in Springfield, Massachusetts. And then prior to Springfield, he spent four years at the U.S., uh, Coast Guard Academy, the Division Three program in New London, Connecticut. So it sounds like you're staying at home. Now, are you from Connecticut yourself, Coach?
1: I am from Connecticut. Um, so I was pretty fortunate. Um, so I, after I graduated from college, um, New London was a couple of towns over from where I grew up in Stonington, Connecticut. Uh, so it made it easy when, um, you know, after college, living at home for a few years, uh, it was an easy commute where I could live at home and save a little money and kind of work a day job and then head to practice afterwards. So, Awesome.
0: Yeah. yeah. Where, where did you go to college?
1: Uh, I went to Ithaca College. Uh, it's in like central New York in the same town where Cornell is. I've heard that name before. Yeah. Okay.
0: Ithaca Cornell. My, my wife went to uh, Cornell and got her uh, MBA in, uh, in business. We both went to UCLA and then she went all the way to the East Coast and went Ivy League on me. Um, <laughs> we were, uh, that was, that was before we started dating again, like 30 years later after college. So, um, Ithaca, awesome. And then what events did you do there, coach?
1: I just did the high jump every now and then I had my, I asked my coach to put me in a, in a four by one. Um, cause usually, especially if it was a two day meet, uh, high jump would be the first thing 9am on day one. And then I would sit there and hang out and cheer on my teammates. So I kind of begged my coach to put me in a relay, <laughs> Uh, but mainly high jump, just all four years, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, and uh, what was your uh, personal best in the high jump?
1: Uh, nothing too impressive. I hit two meters my junior year, uh, but I was consistently like one ninety eight and got over, got joined the two meter club. So uh, it was good for the the conference that I was in, but nothing, uh, you know, super spectacular. And what
0: um, uh, what d what division was uh, Ithaca
1: in? Uh, that was Division three.
0: Division three. Okay. Ithaca, New York. What, what I keep, I've heard Ithaca, New York. So what else are they famous for? Because If it isn't track and field, I, I keep hearing that name in other contexts. Is it for another sport?
1: Uh, I would say probably uh, football. We have, it's like the, the, they call it the biggest little game uh, in the world uh, for uh, their rivalry with uh, Cortland state. So they have a big football rivalry. Um, so it's historic football school, but, Um, I mean now the the athletics is is huge now. So, I mean the the rivalry is pretty pretty big. This year they played the rivalry game at Yankee Stadium, which was which is awesome to see. Uh, Uh, two years uh three years ago they had it at MetLife Stadium. That was like the first year they did it because usually it was just at either at Ithaca or Cortland. Um, and now they're kind of they've been expanding to those bigger stadiums and breaking a lot of attendance records so it could be the football team yeah. um they had a good year this year too how
0: how awesome is that though to play in in that that's when you say yankee stadium that's the one that they're no longer playing in right but that the old yankee stadium or is that the new park
1: the the brand new park yeah it was it was, it was awesome i mean we it was just it was like i said they they first did it at metlife and that was really cool but then to see them playing I mean and I had been to you know I've I've seen the Oakland A's play uh I'm sorry and you know obviously they play at at that stadium and The the Raiders used to play right. there um but kind of seeing the football stadium where they're you know on the 50 yard line where the you know second base is supposed to be it was kind of it was kind of weird to look at but and it was awesome I and mean, it, it it was cool because um a lot of alumni get excited and get to go to those things and I mean attendance is always huge and we yeah. have a big alumni population out in New York city and it's obviously easy to travel to. So it was cool being in that stadium and having it decked out, like all they, you know, right. had all the flags and stuff changed to Ithaca and Cortland. So it was cool.
0: Awesome. So um, where you're talking to a total, total left coaster. So where is Connecticut in, in relation to
1: uh, New York where you went to college? Um, so it's about, where I live is, about, it was like a five-hour drive, so Connecticut's um, right in between of Massachusetts and New York, um, so we're right under Massachusetts and right to the right of New York, so it's about a five-hour drive to to, uh, okay. to school for four years, Close. five, yeah. six hours.
0: I'm, I'm at least that far away from San Francisco when I, I'm at home in Santa Monica, so same state and a long drive in between big cities, so. I'm two hours from San Diego. I'm like an hour and a half from Santa Barbara, you know, five, six, seven, eight hours, depending on how fast you drive to uh, to San Francisco. So, yeah, um, still a, a large place, this world we're living on. So, all right, we've gotten through all the the little things. Now, um, I wanted to talk about, I've, I was looking at your feed and uh, I saw uh, not just a high jump, but you, you work with high jumpers, long jumpers, pole vaulters, triple jumpers. I saw javelin in there, so how does a guy that's just a javelin coach go to all these events?
1: Um, so yeah, when I when I graduated and decided to get into to coaching, um, I thought as I'm just going to go to the high jump, and um, I was applying to to jobs, and with obviously with no experience, it was kind of tough to get uh, get a lot of opportunities, and luckily uh, the head coach Ethan Brown. Uh, he's still the head coach there at the Coast Guard Academy. He gave me my first opportunity and still going into his, I'm just going to coach coach high jumpers. I love high jump. That's all I ever want to coach. That's what I love. And I get with my first group and I have one high jumper and four pole vaulters right. uh, and, and like three, you know, long and triple jumpers. So I was like, all right, well, quickly realizing that if I'm, you know, going to make a career uh, out of this, I should probably pick up a couple more, a couple more events. Um, so it was the The first couple of years for me are pretty big, you know, learning experience, uh, and and I contribute a lot to that to to the head coach, uh, Ethan. One of the things he told me, knowing that I was my first year coaching, he's like, when you're done with your practice, go watch throws, go watch my practice, go watch this in practice, learn as much as you can, and knowing that I had a lot of pole vaulters, uh, we had someone come in and uh, volunteering and. I would just kind of watch them and see what they do and try and find connections there. I'd go to kind of local high school clubs and just kind of sit in on practices and just kind of watch them doing what they're what they're talking about, what they're looking for, what they're working on and trying to put it into to what I see. Um, and I would say the biggest thing that kind of helped me was you know, just trying to find as many commonalities as I could. Um, and I think especially for the jumping events, there's so many different ways you can train them all the same. And and I still stick to that today where all of my, for the most part, I would say 80% of the time, all my jumpers are doing the same thing. You know, whether they're high jumper, long jumper, triple jump, pole vaulter. Um, So kind of always had that attitude throughout my entire career, just trying to find commonalities throughout all the events um, and trying to make that work, uh, and then as well as, you know, I had a lot of good mentors that kind of pushed me to different coaching educations. And I just dove into that as much as I could, you know, reading as many articles, watching as many videos, um, taking different certifications. Um, and I've been doing that as much as I could the past 10 years, not being afraid to slide into people's DMS and ask them questions. Um, right. in you know, cause I just would always try to remember that they were, they were in my shoes at one point. Um. And I always kind of, like I said, I kind of, with, uh, my head coach giving me that advice every year, I tried to, I kind of made it to a goal every year or so trying to pick up a new event. So, you know, my first year I felt pretty comfortable in high jump and then trying to add it in longer triple jump in the next year. I completely took over pole vault and I did as much learning from them as they did for me, um, and I think they understood that and they knew how passionate I was with the, the sport and the field and coaching. And they just bought into it and we had a lot of fun. And, um, as that grew, I dove into the multis, which is why I see some throwers in there. So, um, yep. and now where we're at, at when I'm at Quinnipiac now, um, I basically coach all of the field. Um, so I oversee all the field events. We don't have many throwers, but we have a few, um, full-time throwers and a lot of multi-athletes. So, um, just something I kind of had to pick up to be able to coach them and, uh, be there for it. That was uh, what I kind of did a lot at Springfield was kind of adding a lot more events and kind of picking different brains and, you know, trying to, um, get out of my comfort zone as much as I could.
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, I commend you for that coach. I, I think back on my own, uh, career and, I didn't realize when I was an athlete at UCLA that I was grooming myself to become a coach, and that um, I was so thirsty for you know, knowledge that um, I was I was very fortunate to be at UCLA in um, you know the early '80s, and in, in 1984 there was the Olympics in uh, you know right there in LA. We had a lot of foreign athletes that were coming to UCLA to train. And then, you know, right there on our own team with um, Art Venegas, who's one of the great throwing coaches in the world, um, was the UCLA shot and disc coach, obviously, all the throws. And um, he had John Brenner there at the time. And John Brenner, I think, threw 69 feet in our first dual meet that year against Cal State Long Beach. And, you know, at at the time, that was the number one throw in the world, and he was ranked number one almost that whole year. And so, you know, all of our meets – our home meets were just packed, and there would always be these announcements. you know John Brenner's getting ready to throw you know his everybody direct your attention down to the shot put ring, and you know he's throwing sixty nine he's throwing seventy feet he won the pack tens both shot and disc he turned around and won the n c two A's shot and disc shot you know seventy one eleven in the di- shot and two ten or something in the disc. I can't remember, and um like still number one ranked in the world in in the the shot for sure, and um that whole year, uh, I was able to watch him up close. Um, and I'm a high jumper, but I, you just couldn't miss the energy in the ring there, you know? And I knew all the guys of course, and, um, wasn't close to John, but as some of the younger throwers I was, and, you know, would just watch the workouts. These guys are squatting seven, 800 pounds. And, you know, I, I've told this story before. I don't know if I've told it here, but used to go to, I watched them one year. We went to, uh, the throwers had, uh, don't know what they called it it was food night of some kind we went down into westwood and they had this uh little mexican place where they it was five dollars all you can eat tacos and i went down there with all the shop putters and everything and these guys were strapping on the feed bags they were ready to eat you know for five bucks right so even though this is back in the 80s i think five bucks is a little bit more expensive than it is now so um you know, we were students. We didn't have any money. <laughs> so we're kicking out our five bucks and we were going to eat, you know, and uh, they ate uh, double wrapped, you know, corn tortillas and all that. And uh, I came in third in the eating contest for a, a 6'3", 190 pound high jumper uh, with these guys that were, you know, 240, 250. But I think the winner ate like 50 tacos. And uh, we we followed that up and went to Brew and Bowl. And so they went bowling. And you have never seen bowling like this. I don't know if you have, but I had not. These guys, their goal was to destroy all the pins. They would literally <laughs> get to the back of the lane and they would run up like they you were thinking, okay, has he got a javelin or is he get what does he got? And he's holding the ball, cranks it back, and you've never seen a bowling ball rocket down the, the lane like that. And when they hit the pins. If all the pins exploded into the back wall at high speed, they would all cheer. <laughs> Nobody was keeping score. It was, it was it was the most amazing time. I remember just watching this going, I've never seen anything like this. They called it hop and pop. You know, they'd just be like one, two, hop and pop, and that ball would go flying. Oh, it's crazy. So um, but anyway, I was, I would watch those guys train and I I watched like yourself, I I moved from uh high jump you know, where I was interested. And I, I was very fortunate to be next to Anthony Curran, who's one of the top poleball coaches in the world. Um, I think almost everybody that's on any of the two top 10 lists there at UCLA, both men and women were coached by him or are him. <laughs> and uh, the other one that wasn't was, uh, you know, Steve Tully um, or Mike, which one Mike. Um, and so, you know, just an, an amazing run. And I used to watch the pole balters and just listen to coach and When Curran was coaching there, he was a, he was his first year coaching. I was a freshman on the team and he had just finished as an athlete. So he, I think he was a graduate assistant or something right away. And he just had a way about him. You know, he knew what he was talking about. He was confident. Uh, He had a, just a way of relating to everybody, just super easygoing surfer guy, you know, totally um, unassuming. You know, if you, if you ever met Anthony, he's just, just easy breezy. You know, you, you don't get any ego from this guy, even though he knows everything about what he's talking about and has his way to getting it to you. So that impressed me. And, and I, I was like yourself, I heard you mention something that I find really interesting. You're looking for the the universals, what I call the universals. And I, I found the universals for me were power, you know, through the hips, squats, lunges, step-ups, you know, hang cleans, power cleans, everything. You know explosive olympic lifts and you know steps ups and lunges and all that stuff and and even more so now speed speed it's amazing to me how much everything is going towards speed um i had a i have yet to to publish this podcast but um coach tony holler you might have seen him on your feed Uh, he's in illinois and he uh, has a philosophy he calls Feed the Cats. And he talks about how yeah. everything is speed, right? Everything is speed. He says his guys don't run farther than a 200. They run a lot of hundreds. They do a lot of flying work. And he's all about miles per hour and um, a lot of rest and no shin splints. And, and I'm like, where was this guy 30 years ago <laughs> when I was training? You know, um, He was talking about how little he liked uh, sprint practices and how he's tried to make it, you know, where everybody loves practice, loves working hard, but, you know, maybe not as hard as everybody thinks, you know, not doing those 400, 500, 600 kind of workouts, you know. So I, I like well, what I hear is uh, that kindred spirit, you know, someone who's uh, looking for the universals, trying to apply. When, when you said the similarities in the jumps, I, it took me my first year working with the pole vaulters, to go, dude, there are an amazing amount of similarities I could talk to, you know, if, if I was lucky enough to get a high jumper slash pole vaulter, I'd be like, hey, <laughs> you know how you, when you drive your knee up into your your knee drive in the pole vault, and you just wait and, you, you know, ride that for a while, and then you swing that trail leg up and through, you know, and, and you lay back. I'm like, that's just like riding your knee up in the high jump, you know, just, you know, stay back away from the bar and wait you know don't don't try to do anything too early i am I'm impressed by how many similarities there are and and uh, how sequential those two events are you know like you, you can't really rush through phases in the pole vault <laughs> you know, if you watch it it's like you got to run you got to plant you got to explode up through the takeoff you got to swing you got to lean back you got to invert you know you, you go through the list of things and you can't you can't change the order you know not really right and anywhere you try to do that or you blend phases you get in trouble the way i see it you know and right. i see the same thing all the time in the high jump. so um so as you're going along now uh at, at quinnipiac what is your 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 goals both you know career-wise and uh you know what would you like to do um you know at this position do you want to become a head coach do you want to become you know maybe more refined where you're looking at just a few events or do you want to Sounds like you're on your way to learning all of them. So <laughs> what do you have in mind coming up?
1: I don't know. It, it's changed. I would say it's definitely changed in the past year. I would say um, if you asked me this time last year, before I got to Quinnipiac and I, you know, I was just at Springfield for four years and we had a very large team. We had uh, both the men and women's team and uh, had about 115 people on the team, both men and women, And in my jumps group alone, I had 25. So I felt like I was almost, that's kind of how we treated it is like the each group was almost its own entity. And I felt like I was almost kind of prepping for, you know, a head coach role. And I, that was kind of those, that was, that's where my sights were last year is, you know, I would, I would love to be in a head coach role. Um, But I felt like the, the thing that was missing was kind of the unity within all of the groups. So we kind of, we would come together at championships. Um, but a lot of times we were very separate. Um, and when I got to Quinnipiac, which is a much uh, smaller team, we just have a women's team um, on the track side. Um, it's a much more unified team because uh, we're a lot more small. And and now now I like my role. You know, I like being the assistant, whereas, you know, I feel like I've gotten through a lot of different phases of how I approach coaching. And I feel like this year I've been able to kind of blend blend together i feel like i was different coaches a different coach at coast guard a different coach at springfield i feel like this year i've been able to blend it together and i you know i like my my role that i'm in now and um maybe continue that and you know um at quinnipiac definitely our our goal now is we were we're always in the hunt for a conference championship on the track side we just won our first uh uh, cross-country championship uh i believe and it was it last time we won was 2015, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been almost 10 years since we won. And, uh, on the track side, the, the year before I got there, they lost by a half point, I believe indoors. Uh, and then this indoors, we lost by 14 when we were supposed to lose by way more than that. And, uh, so right now my goal is to, to help our group, our team to continue to grow and win that conference championship. And, continue and become a dominant force in, in our conference and then we'll to kind of take it from there you know I could continue to kind of raise in the ranks in uh at the division one level or kind of I could go back to division three and be a head coach but um I feel like it kind of it's been it's been changing so I really like where I'm at right now and you know I'm enjoying being at Quinnipiac and this is a a place I feel like I could be for a little while and then I don't know we'll see we'll yeah. see
0: yeah. I, I, I asked the question, you know, not just to fill the time, but, um, you know, it's, it's weird. Uh, my, my goal through coaching has been completely haphazard. I mean, most people would probably argue that's like my whole life in a nutshell, but I'm like, I didn't have a plan. Like, you want to talk about the ultimate no plan. I, I never really thought about coaching. So I've said that on my, my Instagram site, you know, on my bio, uh, I said on my website, you know, a little sidelines, like I, I never really thought about coaching. I, I didn't realize when I was competing, you know, at, at a relatively decent level, um, you know, I got the jump. Like I've stated in a couple of places, I got to jump against three different world record holders in the high jump from Sotomayor and Dwight Stones and Zhu uh, Chinua, who came over here to the States and jumped at Cal State LA. Um, you know, I had some great opportunities and, and a lot of fun, but never really went that far you know i, I mean i made it to an nc2a t- championship but never traveled abroad never did made any big teams of any kind you know I, I remember i've read all those things you know you you read about what people have done and this and that it's like well i never really made it that far I never never went to europe and you know did that thing and you know so and i just i kind of kept putting my money in the or my eggs in the the athlete basket like i I held on until 1992. I was 28 years old before I decided I was done, and then at that point I just quit. Like I didn't do track and field. I didn't do anything. I just went and got a job. You know, I started teaching, and you know, coaching was just kind of like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give that a shot. You know, but I didn't envision it as a career, and, and I'm I'm regretting that now. I'd, I wish I'd had a little bit more vision at the time, and maybe a little bit more ambition to do that. I I ended up coaching almost immediately, but I was coaching at a junior college and, you know, there wasn't a lot of money there and I I didn't see it as a career, you know? So, uh, but yeah, the, the, the coaching at the JC level was right after I graduated college. So I was still 22 or 23. So I was still training and jumping and, you know, doing a lot of other things and didn't see a great future there. So I'm always curious to, to see, you know, how other people, you know came to their to where they're at in their their coaching and how did they they find their motivation and you know this and that because mine was just like I said just I didn't realize I put in a lot of good work like you talk about internships for other jobs and all that I mean I went to UCLA I saw some great athletes I, I learned a lot I took a kinesiology major you know now I've got a master's in exercise science and all those things have come around, you know, but most of the time I'm just curious, you know, I watch and I learn and I ask, and I I didn't realize that, you know, what I learned from current and what I was learning, learning from the crazy shot putters and all that stuff, you know, how it applied to your craft, you know, and, and going along and, and putting it all, you know, into kind of a cohesive whole. And here I am, you know, 59 years old. And I'm, I feel like in some ways, I feel like I've just started, you know, and in other ways, I've been coaching for 30, geez, 34, five years. That's crazy. You know, I look at it, I still feel like a a neophyte in some ways. And, you know, you had your successes here and there, but it's like, why did I, why did I take this (laughs) crazy road? So I've got this podcast and I've got young, young gentlemen like yourself that are, you know, stepping up on their stage and you started as a high jumper and now you're coaching like 20 events. That's awesome. Um, What are you, your, uh, your best athlete this year? I saw a couple on your, your feed, one high jumper. I saw a couple and uh, I saw one pole vaulter. And then once, uh, you know, again, I I make reference to your, your, uh, what would we call it? your uh, bio, right? I said, please send me a bio and <laughs> coach, coach Wilkins sent me a, a two pager. <laughs> so you have, like, oh. <laughs> I got this conference champ and that conference champ, but, uh, who are the ones that you're excited about? And, and, uh, what are you hoping for them for next year?
1: I think the, um, the, the, those two that you're, you were talking about and, uh, my high jumper, one of my high jumpers, uh, Lala and, um, our pull Volta Aaron is, was the, the exciting thing is they're both very young. Uh, Lala a sophomore and, uh, Aaron's a, just finished her first year. So definitely excited for them. And kind of the, the, the thing about all of them and me being new to the program is as much as they were trying to learn me, I was trying to learn them and, you know, I was kind of teaching them new things. And a lot of them, some of them, it was their first time having a, uh, an actual jumps coach that was there just for jumps. And, um, so it it took a little time to for them to you know get the things that i was trying to learn teach them under their belt and um what i was kind of telling them is you just had a great year this year and um what's more exciting about next year is i don't have to you know we don't need to go through all the you know the intro stuff and go through all that stuff. We just, we go now and just me kind of reminding you and just kind of fine tuning stuff. And we just focus on getting better. So I'm super excited for the two of them. I'm excited for all of them. And, um, like I said, it's a, it's a young group and a hard working group and it's, I'm really excited for next year. I think they're just going to kind of take off after having this year under their belt. Right. Do you, do you find, um, what, what are
0: the kind of kids that are, that are coming to Quinnipiac? Are they, they from, I mean, are you drawing just from Connecticut or do they come to you from all over the Eastern seaboard or what is how does that work?
1: Uh, So a lot of the Northeast, um, we do get a few international. Like last year, we had two women from Canada. Um, We've had uh, a woman from uh, Bermuda. Um, So a lot of kind of New England, New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Uh, That's kind of where the majority of... um, our roster comes from. Uh, but every now and then we'll get a few that are, um, a little further away. Um, I'd say the majority of the women on our team are, are, they're studying something in the health sciences. We have a, a big medical school grad program. And, um, so we have a lot of nursing, physical therapy, occupational therapy, uh, physician's assistant, um, health sciences. Um, but then we also have those that are in engineering business. So, um, We get, we get a lot of kids like that that are into, into the sciences. Right. Yeah. Well,
0: that's, that's awesome. So um, how did you guys, you, you sounded like you did really well in your conference. Then um, you're, how how does it run up the ladder there? I'm curious at the D3 level. I've, I've coached two years now at at Vanguard University here on the the coast in LA. And we're um, an NAIA school that is going to jump from straight over division three to division two um in the next couple of years. But you know, from the NAIA is is pretty far down the ladder. Um and then there's D three and D two and D1. So um where do you guys go from your conference and then D three? Like I the reason I'm asking is uh, again, I I just don't know the the inner machinations that much. But um I remember my senior year at UCLA when I made it to the NC2A final I had there was a guy jumping with I, I know you know this about the high jump, but I think it's switching now, but when I was a jumper, I came from the right side, you know, as a left footed takeoff and at the NC2A finals in 1986, there were 23 athletes there, you know, the qualifying height was 222, seven, three and a half, no other standard. And I know things have changed since then, but there were 22 jumpers that came from the right and one guy over on the left. And so I was trying to get run throughs and I was like, there's just a crowd of people there and there's one guy standing over there by himself he could go once and then two or three guys go in a row and he could go again I was like there's no line over there you know so I actually went over to the other side and ran my curve in reverse because I was just so frustrated waiting but um he was uh his name was Ron Lee and he was from Pasadena and he was a a division two or three jumper that I think he won their d1 or you know d2 or d3 level and he got to go to the division one finals because he had won he jumped seven four you know so he he had a qualifying height and and got there to the final so I'm just wondering you know first of all where you go from uh Quinnipiac to your division three you said division three finals
1: uh Quinnipiac's division one
0: division one division one awesome yeah each
1: sorry go ahead no no I'm just I'm
0: just I don't know why I thought you were smaller. The other the other ones were smaller, right? The one the other ones you gave me were Coast Guard was Division Three, and then Springfield was Division Three. Yep. So now we're at D one, and it's this is an all all girls school or just an all girls track program?
1: Uh just all girls track program. We have men's cross country, um, right? Just women's indoor and outdoor track. Uh, yeah, each division division is uh, they'll have their own uh, national championships. So like when I was at the Division Three level, you had to be um, either top 20 I think it was top 20 indoor or top 22 outdoor to go to the national championships Um, whereas now at the maybe now it's, that number seems to be like a 16 I know it's NAIA is 16 and
0: even division two or three seems to be like top 16 or something I can't figure it out
1: yeah no it is it's expanded um, for them and then uh now at the division one level, it's a little different where they have the regional meet and there's yeah. talk of they have the regional meet outdoor. Um, and now there's talk of having a regional meet indoor as well. Um, whereas um indoors, it was just kind of the top. Um, but for outdoors, they have the regional meet where I believe your top 48 in your event um can qualify for the regional meet, both east and west. And then the top 12 from both um Regional meets will then go to the the second round to the to the NCAA championships. Yeah, um,
0: yeah it's it's pretty wild. It, it used to be, I don't know. We've we've talked about this a few times, Brandon, on the podcast. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to listen to it. Um, yeah, shameless, for sure. Shameless plug here for the Raise the Bar podcast because um, we're in it and <laughs> to it. Um, I forget kind of where we started, but it comes up a bunch of times when you get people that are passionate about what they're doing. And I'm, I'm frustrated. I'm, I'm growing more frustrated. I, I remember um, talking about it for 20, 20 years ago, people would ask me, why, why are not you, you know, that in about track. And I'm like, Hey, track and field is dead in this country. Nobody's smelled the corpse yet. That's what I would tell people. I'm like, it's a dead sport. And they go, what do you mean? And I go, well, when I was in college at UCLA, they, they just started prime ticket, which is now kind of prime ticket slash, not Fox or whatever—I forget what it is out here—but they, they, they said we're going to do your dual meet. We were going against Cal. It was 1986. We we're going against a Cal dual meet. They came down to go against us in the rain. Um, a guy named John Morris was on that team, a 7-7 jumper. I jumped against him in high school, um, and and uh, you know, just we were so excited. They go, we're going to film your meet and we're going to show it tonight at like eight o'clock on TV, right? And we're just like, oh my God, this could be great. And they filmed the whole meet. Uh, We saw the cameras up in the corners of the track and and everything. And, um, we tuned in and they showed all the running events. They showed none of the field events. They showed none of the field results. They watched every lap of the men's 10,000. And it was the worst telecast I'd ever seen in my life. And I was just like, wow, that's really, really awful. And for my money, it really hasn't gotten any better. Since 1986, it's been my senior year. 22 years old. I'm 59 now. So let's call it 37 years. Like they haven't gotten any better at their game, you know. And here we are in the U.S. and you know, worldwide is one thing, but everybody follows our lead because if there's any nation in the world where we spend more time in front of a television or in front of a a screen watching a movie, we're it. (laughs) You know, and we we've got it down to a science. It's like You know, what are the sports that make money over here? Any other sport, football, basketball, baseball, hockey. I just watched all of those in the last two or three weeks. Tennis, um, golf, golf, which I love and is one of the most boring sports in the world to watch on TV, gets more play than even the Olympic level track and field, you know, and it's like, oh, my gosh. So I, I just keep watching. I keep thinking and, you know. To the people out there, they're probably blackball me in the long run, uh, USA track and field and um, the AAU, um, these different levels. And, um, you know, I'm just starting to learn about all these nationals for, uh, you know, Nike and New Balance and all those. And there's all these meets and everything. But I'm like, there's still no money. None of these things are on TV. Nobody knows about them. You know, I'm gradually finding out about them, which means they can't be well advertised. And... Let's get us on TV. Let's put out a product, a quality product. We have arguably some of the greatest athletes on the planet doing amazing things all the time. And it's, nobody knows, nobody knows. I I, I get parents, I go, send me your your uh, videos of your kid at this big meet, right? Uh, from their meet, This there's a junior Olympics qualifier. They're, you know, we're right at the end of the season. So league finals, state finals, right? And they're like shooting them from the stands. And I'm like, you couldn't get any closer? And like, they wouldn't let me on the field. I'm like, uh-huh. oh, we're, it's like, let's just shoot ourselves in the feet over and over again. Can we get on TV? I mean, I shamelessly ask people, I go, do you want me to to post your videos? Do you want me to post your high jump videos? I will happily promote you. And I will happily tell the world about you and what you're doing. And, you know, I've I've got a little like six-year-old girl on my site doing backovers, you know, mom brings her to me for junior Olympics. I'm just like, this is great. She's like a little technician. I show her stuff on film and she's looking at it like she's got a degree in biomechanics. <laughs> and you know, I'm, I'm stoked about her. And I'm like, but nobody's going to know because it's not on TV, you know? So rant. that's, that's my rant. It's been going on and on. We've had, you know, uh, different People on the podcast, Um, my former coach, Alan Hankel, who used to coach Doug Nordquist, had Doug Nordquist on here, you know, jumped 236, bounder 236 in the 84 games. Uh, Leo Williams, who was an alternate on that team. I'm hoping to get Mike Powell, my old UCLA teammate, the world record holder. Um, Kevin Young, you know, former world record holder and Olympic gold medalist in the, the 400 meter hurdles. And we just talk ad nauseum about how can we fix this? How can we make it more, I don't know if it could be more exciting because it's exciting when you're watching it, but how do we, how do we package it? How do we get it on TV and to make it a sport that isn't, isn't dead where nobody's smelling the corpse yet?
1: Right. I think right now, like, especially with social media right now, I would say that if you are in the track world, like there's a lot of really exciting coverage for track but if you're not in the track world you know because social media will have the algorithms right if you like track you're going to see a lot of track stuff but obviously only the track people are seeing the exciting things um and i was um i listened to the when you had jeremy fisher on um, i listened that a while ago and i know you guys were talking about that and and it's tough i mean obviously i'm pretty biased to the field events and those the ones i feel are the most exciting and the ones that probably get the least amount of coverage um And the meets that are on TV, right, they're on, right, ESPN3, um, (laughs) which, you know, you (laughs) have to be fortunate fortunate to have. (laughs) Like Um, Doug Right, yeah, the the Ocho. Um, (laughs) I mean, it was nice, like, when I was watching the World Championships this year and I wanted to watch High Jump, they had a a separate camera for that. Um, But I I would say kind of the – and I've seen people talk about it on Twitter and different stuff is I would say the big thing that track needs to do and someone – Someone that has the money to do it and the the know how is um right. There's there's so many different Netflix series like I Formula One, like car racing is is huge right now because they have a a like a documentary type series that follows certain racers around and people get invested into them and see them and what the ins and out of the sports and um, same thing with golf. Same thing with tennis. There's so many where you know just kind of follows athletes around and sees their daily lives, sees them as people, and kind of gets them excited for, gets them interested in it. And I think there's so much that goes into track that people don't even realize. Like the, my my friends that Arnie, I had one of my good friends, um, and I'll ever forget. I remember it was around the time when the, I think it was in the real Olympics round, and there was a commercial on uh Ashton Eaton was up and i was just looking at and i just said to him i was that's one of the greatest athletes in the world and he looks at me he's like you know i know like that you're a track person you're biased but track is just like running and stuff like there's <laughs> no way he's better than a football player i was like track is running and jumping and running and jumping and throwing like yeah and I, there's no there's i can't tell you how many times when i have told people i'm a high jumper." and they say oh that's the thing with the pole right i'm like no that's (laughs) that's pole vault um so and and uh right and i I think that's what just people don't even realize sometimes that there's other events outside of the track um just because they don't necessarily get covered unless like they cut to you know the top three jumps of the day um but I'd be really interested. I would, I would, I would eat that up if there was some type of Netflix kind of documentary series or something oh. like that, that just followed athletes around and you, you see the struggles of their daily lives, yeah. um, their, their ups and downs with their performance. Yeah,
0: yeah. Exactly.
1: And you, yeah. and I think it would help our athletes too, where, you know, they when they see them compete is on the big stages and they see the glitz and the glamour, but they don't see that they're going through the same adversity and setbacks and frustrations that they're the exact same ones that they're going through, you right. know. And I think that would help them relate as well, where whenever they see their favorite athletes compete, they're doing their best, but they don't see them in the training room, you know, having bad needs because they're not highlighted. But um, I would love to see that. And I think that would really kind of help elevate and bring a lot more eyes and attention. Um, yeah, well, you, I mean, look at, um, yeah, we, we've talked about this before
0: too, but American gladiators or, um, the American ninja, the ninja warrior thing, you know, yeah. watch that. And I'm like, I mean, that's pretty, pretty awesome. I remember watching that about 10 years ago, thinking, you know, if I could train and get myself back into shape, I could do that. Now I'm watching it going, man, I, I don't think so. But I watch some of these people that do it you know, from the youngers to the olders. And, you know, such a huge nation, we've got all these great former athletes that stay in shape and compete in masters events and on and on. And you're watching them do this thing. And I'm like, Oh, man, I'm back in the day, I, I would have ate up that wall, you know, that inverted wall. And all these things they are doing they're, you know, crawling along on their hands and jumping from thing to thing. I'm like, that's, how can that be more captivating? But you know, they've done a really good job of, you know, promoting and getting those things on there, and and there are former track athletes on there, and former you know this and yep. former that, and you know everybody's trying to to either get their first you know claim to fame or you know hold on to it once they've already. You know, we should, we should get uh, Tom Brady out there and get some of these guys that have just retired. You know, the the just retireds uh, <laughs> gladiators or the um, ninja warriors, but yeah, it's. I just keep thinking somebody with money, somebody with a vision, somebody with some tech and some know-how, like, you know, we've talked about this before too. I'm like, you know, if you can take golf, which I love golf, but you know, it's, it's like watching paint dry, unless you're obviously you've got a captive audience. There's a lot of people watching the U S open right now. And you know, it, all you got is you got a camera on each hole. You got, I've seen the guys, they got camera following. There's one guy, following on each hole, talking with each person, either they put one guy following each group. So they follow them hole to hole and they can say, oh yeah, he's missed, you know, three putts from inside six feet, blah, blah, blah. So you got your one commentator following a signature group, but you've got a camera on every hole. You've got cameras everywhere. You know, they've got a truck somewhere and a producer that's going, all right, cut to camera three, you know, uh, John Rom just chipped in for Eagle. And, uh, let's, let's cue that up and run it, you know, and Okay. He's out there. Phil Mickelson's over here in the rough. Let's watch Phil. Yeah, he's 53, but he just won the PGA two years ago, and he's an LIV guy. And they they just cut, paste, cut, paste. They're fast. They got all those guys on, you know, and it's here, 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 here. Golf gets it. I mean, golf, yeah. golf gets it. <laughs> when we do it, you, you've got this three ring circus with things going on all over the place. Like you and I know there's a pole vault going on, there's long jump, there's triple jump, there's, you know, Sprints going on here and there. The throws are going. It's a three ring circus. There's things happening everywhere. You should have cameras all over the place. Somebody in that truck that has that same kind of experience, either from a golf thing or um, football, like Monday Night Football. How many cameras do they have at Monday Night Football, right? There's right. got to be a guy in the truck going, hey, cue camera three. You got a cute cheerleader right there. Okay, come back, cut over here. Let's talk to Al Michaels. Okay, come over here. We'll talk to, to Chris Collinsworth and oh, get that shot. You know, just it's like that. We don't have that. We don't we don't have anything like that. You know, like I said, but I've still seen when in the last two years, I remember watching some feed of something in the men's 10,000 was going on again. <laughs> and the guys are sitting there talking as they're running around in circles, they're like, so uh, you know, Biff, uh, did your did your daughter graduate this year? You know, wh- where's she going to school next year? Cause they're, I, I for, I've i lost track and forgive me, those of you that run the 10,000. It's not that the the event isn't exciting, but it takes a while. And so they're, they're doing every lap and do they cut away and go, let's go watch the long jump for a second and come back sometimes, you know, but usually not. And you're just going along, you know? So yeah, we need, we need uh, we need some slick help because we've got, like you said, some amazing athletes and it's, it's an amazing sport. It's just so poorly packaged. And uh, I think the people at the top, you know, the big money people are fighting over any money that's in there, which isn't a lot, you know. And then the people at the bottom really get nothing. I, I keep thinking, you know, who are your multimillionaires from the track and field world? Right. I mean, is it is it Usain Bolt? Is it Carl Lewis? I don't think so. You know, Carl Lewis won four gold medals in 84 but I don't think he's a mega millionaire. You know, he's always trying to do other stuff. He's got to try singing, right. He tried some other things. Um, Usain Bolt made one commercial that I remember he did his pose and that was it. No speaking, you know, (laughs) God bless him. He's from Jamaica, you know, and uh, you know, they didn't give him a speaking part. He was just doing his pose. And those are the best in the world. That's not like your your little guy. I mean, Usain Bolt dominated the the sport for a decade, right? Three Olympics in a row, twelve or fourteen years or something, whatever. Four Olympics. What was it? Two thousand eight to. It's like a twelve-year span. Four Olympics, and you know, can't be making bank at this sport. So anyway, we're we're grousing aloud. Probably run probably running into the.
1: i will good now. It's a it's a good it's a good topic conversation. It's something that needs to, you know, be improved. And I think there there's some areas, some coverages that have, have improved, especially in the, the college realm, but um always always can improve.
0: I'm thinking about taking, you know, my camera, my just my um my my iPad, I call it my sky high and flypad, or my sky high pad, I forget what I named it, but when I take it to meets and, and filming literally all the jumpers and letting my commentary run because I'm filming it. And I've gotten, cause I, for those of you out there, parents and coaches and and um, anybody else, if you want to film your athlete, go out there like you own the place, do not wander out there and go, can I take pictures? And They go, go over there and hide, you know, over there in the bleach or somewhere, just go out there like you own the place and go, if you want to lie, say I'm from the local, you know um, what do you call it? Cable network, <laughs> you know, I'm I'm here, filming the event and, and get all the film and all the commentary. I'm thinking I need to do that just go, okay, here's, here's some guy. I don't know who this is, but he's first guy up the bars at six feet. Looks like he's from. Okay. Norfolk. All right. He's from Norfolk state and here he goes, you know, and just like do the running commentary and everything. And then post it on Instagram later or on a uh, maybe YouTube, you know, as whatever meet I was at. <laughs> and here you go, because, then you get some commentary and and some decent angles. Um, again, those of you that are out there filming videos of your kid, if you're in the stands, uh, it doesn't matter. You're going to send those videos to someone to help you uh, and your your kid improve. God bless you because that's a great enterprise. But that angle from the stands, straight up from the you know nosebleeds and across the field, uh, they're not <laughs> they're not the best informative shots they're better than nothing but um, <laughs> you know get down there on the field and give me that straight down the bar shot one way or the other from either side and uh, I can help you a lot and then you're getting some quality videos and uh, we'll turn it into some uh, some top grade programming <laughs> so um, coach on the personal side you you're married you got kids what do you got going on there in, in Quinnipiac
1: uh, yep. Married. I was married in, um, August of 21, no kids yet. Um, uh, maybe soon, but, um, uh, yep. Married yep. my wife here. We, uh, we live, um, just outside it. we're kind of in the middle of state. So we're about 30 minutes from campus, but, um, yeah, nice. And he's enjoying uh, the season being off and me being home a little bit more.
0: Is, is, uh, coaching a full-time gig? Do you do anything else?
1: Yeah, no, it's full-time. Um, my, when I first got started, um, I was working in the school system, like you had said, I would, um, right out of college, I worked as a paraprofessional. So I worked in a middle school, um, kind of a, um, special education aide and classroom aid, um, for about three years, some subbing, and then I would go and coach in the afternoon. And then, um, as much as I love teaching, I just didn't think I could do it anymore. Um, was kind of losing my sanity and it would kind of bring my anger to practice or sometimes practice was my only kind of uh, my mm-hmm. peace of mind um, and then once I got to Springfield that became full-time and um, yeah sometimes I would run some camps over the summer um, but yep but now just kind of full-time working with Quinnipiac.
0: Some of the caps are frustrating that's it's another thing I've I've been kind of interested to talk about I've, I've had this this thing happen to me for a couple of years now where my season ends and every year now I'm starting to get an earlier adjustment period. I'm like, okay, summer's coming and I need to do something over these 10 weeks. Do I need to just decompress and take the summer off? And, uh, should I work? I get you know, some clients that um, their kids just didn't have a great end of their season. So they want to train. And then you've got the junior Olympics crowd. They start coming in, um, but your really good athletes are doing other sports and yeah. or their families are going on vacation. So everybody leaves on vacation or they go into basketball or football or volleyball, whatever it is, soccer, anything other than what you're doing. And I've, you know, I've tried to make these summer camps and I'm just like, summer camps just don't work for me. You know, it's like, not only am I a little burned out, I'm not really looking to make it work, but it's like, it's just tough, you know, to get it going at least, you know, as a single coach. And I'm, I'm really have fought trying to put together a, um, a track club. I don't want to be a track club. I don't, you know, and I really have never had that same urge that you had to be the head guy. Um, I've done it once and I'm not an administrative type. So I am way better at doing the coaching stuff that I am at doing the minutia, you know, and, uh, here, figure out what the schedule is going to be here, figure out the buses, like, but we got to take a bus. Can't the kids walk? You know, like I, i'm just the worst person in the world i need like to have a complete machinery already set up where i can say okay i want to delegate all of this to my secretary and you tell me where i need to sign and after that we're good to go because i'll I'll do the coaching you know um so yeah Yeah, as much
1: as the the camps it it was it was fun because it was a good opportunity where um like i ran it and then i would i just hired all my friends who were also young coaches. And we got to hang out for, for that week and they stayed at my place and we just crashed and kind of hang out. And, and, but the, everything leading up to it was probably super stressful. And one of the reasons why I didn't want to do it. So I would kind of start almost like recruiting people. And like, just what I, my first year doing was trying to get the word out and uh, talk to coaches. And I was like sending like, you know, envelopes of flyers to every high school in the area to kind of get knows. I was, you know, going to meets and sponsoring meets I think I like, sponsored a conference championship um, It just sent up a tent just to get people to sign up. And um, as the summer was going through, it was just kind of like, is anyone even going to show up? And we're in, did I, you know, just invest all this time and money and it's not even going to be anything or we're just going to have two people. Uh, and I think the first year, just me and my buddy, we kind of put it together and yeah, kind of like, what are we going to do every day? What are we going to do for lunch? What are we going to do if it rains? So all these things had to like kind of go through and then, you know, we got to get shirts um and then it kind of expanded where the first year just kind of jumps only and then um we did sprints and throws and pole vault I tried doing distance but it didn't really uh, kind of work kind of in the camp model uh Mm -hmm. but then it went like what am I going to pay everybody so it was kind of stressful and then it kind of led right up into uh 2020 into COVID and it was like there were so many restrictions where I was like, we're just not going to do it. We're not even going to try. And then I never went back and it's, it's been fine. <laughs> now yeah. I just kind of enjoy the summer and recruit and yeah, my projects.
0: It's like a dirty word, man. I I keep looking back and I'm just like, Oh, I, I, I hate COVID for so many reasons and it's not a sentient being. It's just a germ. And I was like, but it, in two or three years, you know, um, what that, that year, 2019, I had three kids went to the state meet uh, in California. Two of them were on the podium. One of them was coming back as a senior the next year, and he took a really good jump at 6'10 at the Masters meet. And then we trained all through the fall. He goes out to his first dual meet of the early season jump 6'10 and the week after COVID hit, and that was it. There was no – he was the the state leader, Kyle Jenkins, uh, who's now at Cal State Long Beach, you know, jumped 6'10", and was state leader and one of the national leaders because it happened so early. But I had him pegged to jump. I thought he jumped 7'2", by the end of the year. He's a super talented kid and, um, you know, still, still pressing forward at Cal State Long Beach now. But um, he went to San Jose State back in the day. But I just remember just from that time on, you know, the training, trying to find a place to train, you know, all the things that have happened. I mean, I, it's kind of turning into a... a a lot on the windshield, like a distant memory. <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm trying to, trying to forget memory. it. You know, I hated everything that that I, I mean, it it probably taught me a few lessons along the way. Um, I still have my immunization record in my wallet, you know. Um, yeah. I had to bring it with me to UCLA games. And we went for both football and basketball, my wife and I. And, uh, oh, God, hated it. But, yeah, I could see the the difficulties in doing Yes. Yeah.
1: I would say that like from a coaching perspective, it was kind of like the, it was absolutely the one of the worst moments in my life. And then, you know, but I also felt like I got a lot from it. Like going into that, like that indoor season was probably one of the best seasons I had in my career at that time. And I had, you know, I qualified three individuals for the national championship and there, I had two more that should have probably been there. Um, so we got there, we just got off a championship and we we flew down in North Carolina at the JDL uh, indoor facility. Uh, we had been practicing there all week. And then, you know, everyone could just feel that things were, you know, escalating. Like there was a lot of different rumors and like things were getting canceled around us. Like teams were showing up and then just leaving. We're like, oh my goodness, what's going on? We're getting there. And, you know, they, they cancel like the banquet. We're like, all right. So it's the, you know, and it's the, was it the, thursday before so we we're we we're at the track doing our pre-meet and i'm getting my my multi ready to go and my pentathlete uh to compete in our first national championship um and we're doing pre-meet everything's good we had a great practice get in the van drive back and then we're just like all right what are we gonna do the rest of the day uh we're like all right well let's go play some mini golf so we brought the whole group we had uh i had a woman in the pentathlon woman in the high jump guy in the triple jump and then we had a guy in the two hundred was myself and the head coach and another gratisist And we went and went and played mini golf playing there, have a good time. We're joking around, we're taking bets. And you know, my triple jumper was like, if I, if I sink this putthole in one, I'm going to be a national champion. He did it. And he's like, he, he sinks it and he starts chasing, running around and screaming. And then our, I notice our head coach kind of walk away and kind of disappear uh, on the other end of the the mini golf ground. And I see he's on the phone and he's looking pretty stressed and he comes back and he's like, i was the athletic director and our our outdoor season was just canceled and he's like i he's like i kept asking him he's like we're right the national championships are still on we're still good to go right and he's like as far as i know like everything's still on we're still good to go so we pack up and like that's kind of what we talked about like obviously the mood was dead no one wanted we didn't finish the round of mini golf like everyone just wanted to leave um and we get to the back to the hotel and we're like all right like you know this sucks but we have this one last meet let's let's give it our all give it everything we got because there's nothing left after this year um we're down the lobby we say that and we're like all right we're gonna go shower get dressed up nice we're gonna go out to dinner so we can you know get our minds right to go our athletes get into the the uh elevator and uh the head coach and I are there just kind of just like not really know what to say. And we see on the TV that they are posting like tweets of how the national championship had got canceled. And that's how we found out was on TV and people on Twitter talking about it. And we just sent them up and just kind of, you know, hype them up and kind of gave them a good pep talk. And now we have to go back upstairs and knock on the door and tell them everything's canceled. So that was awful to be there. And then to kind of, open the door and look them in the look him in the eye and tell them that the everything they worked hard for was over um yeah. and of course the the hotel was about to get flipped up upside down everyone was freaking out and we told them it was rough and we kind of went into our hotel rooms for a little bit I cried in the shower for a little bit and came back out and then we kind of just made the best of the rest of the trip and went back but it was tough but and then I just kind of you know, I was, I told them and what I kind of told myself is we have this extra time trying to utilize the most, as best as I can and try and learn as much as I can. So when we do have the opportunity to compete again, I'm going to put them in, you know, the best position that they possibly can. so I just did a deep dive in all coaching and, you know, biomechanics and talking to different coaches and doing as much, you know, professional development as I could. And came back and had a great season. That was kind of the, the motto. It's like, we can either be bitter about this or we can be better about this. We can either get, you know, six months ahead or we can get six months behind. Yeah. So that was kind of the, the mindset that we did. And, um, and that's kind of what we talked about and he came back and we had countless PRs and it was, it was awesome. Um, but it was, it was a rough turning point and rough time, but I feel like it really helped me take time and you know debrief and kind of develop as a coach and get get as good as i can
0: that's amazing i'm i uh you know i i sound negative now i mean at the time it was a shock and then you know everybody kind of withdrew for a couple weeks but then you know i had different coaches and and you know clients parents that were like what are we going to do you know (laughs) it's like well you know i we we can find some, I trained people in parks, you know, yeah. we could not find anywhere to train. So it was like, you know, there was one pit that was open down in El Toro uh, and we would go down there. I had to bring my own standards and a bar, which uh, prompted me to call Gill Athletics and find out if they had a, th- a three piece bar, which I don't even know what made me think of it but they actually did. They had a a bar that broke into pieces. So I bought one of those and uh, I told them I would pimp for them on my site and tell everybody about their two or three piece bar. So I get a little discount and uh, (laughs) you know, but it was, it was crazy. You know, that time, you know, it was in some ways it was kind of fun because there was, there was nowhere else to go. You know, I had some former athletes and like I said um, you know, parents and clients that would say where you where you got coach and I'm like well I don't know I got I got this place down in Del, El Toro and for some people it was an hour hour and a half drive and they would you know they'd come down so those were fun we had 20 people there I, I never had that many people to clinic you know never had a summer camp that successful like you said so it was uh an interesting time worked with some really great athletes and and got more than a few coaches you know to come with their athletes and kind of just did a big you know <laughs> just hang out and and talk about stuff and do some jumping and you know at the end they'd be like hey can we go do some long jumping yeah let's go you know mm-hmm. might as well and just you know drove all this time well hey listen coach uh, um I appreciate it. I know you're getting late over there it's uh, six thirty five here in Mexico um and you graciously came on and gave us your time um let's let's definitely stay in touch I'd I'd like to uh, talk about you know, getting, I, I keep mentioning this to people just to see, because like I said, I'm not a great logistics person, but I would love to take sky high and fly jump camps on the road um, to visit places and, and, you know, work together with people that, you know, have a common goal and that goal being let's elevate, you know, track and field, not only uh, just performances, but the sport in general to where it's uh, more in the mainstream of the uh <laughs> The public eye, right? So people know the great work that you're doing there with your athletes at Quinnipiac. And um, again, thanks so much. I, I love your passion. I love watching your posts. Um, you know, if you get you got to hire some uh, some people to do all that work for you. I know with me, I'm I'm my own everything. You know, secretary and yeah. uh, all the Instagram posts I do. You know everything. And there's there's times I'm just like I forget things and drop balls so i appreciate sure. you working with me today just like were we still working oh yeah Sorry. i'm on oh, no, it's all good but i i appreciate you being patient so um any any thoughts you have before we we head out anything you on your mind popping up
1: no no i appreciate this this opportunity this was fun um never had to do one of these before i'm always kind of more so listening to and listen to to other coaches talking so no i appreciate you you reaching out and um having yeah, me hop on and this was fun
0: let's do another one one time we will get down to some more uh, uh technical stuff talk about technique
1: yeah for sure yeah no we we kind of talked about everything but uh yeah but I, I, don't I don't know it was
0: good no it was all good i don't always have a plan my wife says you gotta have a plan you know laid out And i'm like i don't know i'm just gonna kind of let it evolve see what it is that comes up and then you know if there's somewhere else we need to go we can talk about that but um
1: no, it makes it more genuine and uh, kind of yeah. organic,
0: you know, not forced. Uh, well, Brandon, I appreciate you again. And uh, we will, Brendan, sorry, not Brendan. Brendan, we will uh, do this again for sure. And um, say hi to everybody out there. We, we, uh, I've never been to Connecticut, whatever I've been. I've been to New York and I've been to South Carolina and I've been to Washington, D.C. to visit my wife's sisters and not a lot out there to new york two or three different times and usually as a quick stopover before going somewhere else you know traveling uh, on a cruise or you know going across the pond to something else so i I'd, I'd love to uh i don't know why but ithaca just pops into my head Man, that sounds like such a cool place i always think like lacrosse like you're saying lacrosse or soccer or something but all right sir um you have a good one and we will keep in touch talk soon all right. I appreciate you. Have a good one. All right. You too. Bye. That was coach Brendan Wilkins. He is at uh, Quinnipiac university division one women's uh, track and field only um, has several highly uh, qualified athletes there that he trains. Um, saw numerous uh, long jumpers and high jumpers and pole vaulters in particular high jump pole vault um uh, but also long jump and javelin and and uh he has his um you know he's coaching a lot of events there wearing a lot of hats and uh but he seems to have a lot of energy and is is uh growing in his craft daily working with you know giving so many opportunities to uh to learn so um probably as busy as a one arm paper hanger as they would say um so until next time uh this is troy Haynes. The host of Raise the Bar, the Sky High and Fly Jump Camps podcast. Uh, We will talk soon. We're looking forward to uh, getting Mike Powell, the uh, world record holder in the long jump, and a former teammate of mine at UCLA. Both of our senior years were 1986. And um, I actually got to jump against Mr. Powell in the high jump in high school. Um, So, we're looking forward to that. He has told me he will come on. And, uh, if he doesn't, we'll use this to shame him. So, uh, until then stay tuned, listen for our next podcast coming up. We've got a few that are still being processed. Um, Jonita Brinson, uh, spent some time with us a while back. Um, she's a great young coach. She's going to be coming up here soon. We had Tony Howler, um, who, uh, with his feed the cats philosophy is, uh, Coming up soon, we've had uh, Sue Humphrey, um, the coach of Charles Austin, who uh, jumped seven ten and a half and and set the Olympic record while winning the gold medal back in 1996 in Atlanta. We've got Sue's already done and waiting to publish. So um, many, many other podcasts have been finished, but haven't quite made it out there yet. And they're coming up. So until next time, this is Troy Haynes and Raise the Bar signing off. Have a good one.